Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Because Money. I'm John Robertson, producing, and we have, as always, Chris Enns and Sandy Martin with our special guest tonight, Julia Chung. So, Sandy, tell us how you met Julia and got her on the podcast. I, uh, I, well, I've heard Julia's name. I mean, ever since I started being a financial planner, you hear about Julia Chung, but she's all the way out in BC and I don't go anywhere. So I thought, well, I'm never going to meet her. And then uh, there was this kind of LinkedIn group, which sounds archaic, but it's true. I wanted to meet other people that were doing what I do. Although Julia is doing something that's like at this level up here. So when she, I said, like, does anybody want to get together like once a month or something and talk about stuff? She's like, yes, I do. I want to do that. And we have, we've talked once a month since. And I mean, all sorts of wonderful things have come out of that, but Julie is really great and she likes talking and she's really candid and open and fun to be around. And ah, golly, I just like her. So I'm really glad that she's here. <laughs> I should probably say things about her business and how professional and awesome she is too. So she's a JYC financial. That good done. <laughs> Welcome. You nailed it. Thanks. Really I practiced awesome. that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's it's true. Julia is really awesome. We were talking on the phone um, to prepare for this episode, just to touch base. And I think what could have been a five minute call quickly became an hour long call that I just wanted to pick her brain on absolutely everything. Every kind of thing that she mentioned, I was like, oh, I want to learn more about that. And I want to learn more about that. I just basically want to try to convince her to have her own podcast so that I can listen to it. But having her on this one is, um, is, is the next best thing, right? So welcome, Julia. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I feel super special now. I just, it's a, a sp- specific kind of nerd that would think that it's super exciting to talk to me. <laughs> Because uh, yeah, lots of people are like, oh, financial planner. I'm, I'm going to go over to that side of the party because I don't want to talk about taxes and money. But, uh, yeah, so this is the only place where people will be like, oh, my God, she's neat. <laughs> so I appreciate that. I don't get it a lot. <laughs> well, then. Yes. <laughs> We're with the right people. <clears throat> okay, so to get us all warmed up to play, I mean, I mean to talk about serious things, we're going to play a game of financial false equivalents because today we're talking about what Chris has called an American in Paris, Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk, we're talking about, of course, cross-border planning issues, which is one of the things that Julia is superb at. Plus she really, really likes it. Like talk about special kind of nerd. She's <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to talk about things that are roughly equivalent in the finance world between America in Canada, and I'm really excited because I get to be the one behind the game today. So you know the answer, so you're clearly already winning. It's true. Yeah, I, until I until I say them, and you guys are like, "Well, bonus point. That's actually not equivalent at all." Oh, <laughs> there's bonus points. I'm so in. Oh, there's a, and there's one trick question. Oh, okay. So, does do you guys? Uh, no, it's we're going around. That's right. We're not doing the little hold up the thing like the newlyweds game. Okay, so we're gonna start with our guest, who is Makes Julia sense. Chung. <laughs> yeah, she's neat. 
she's pretty neat. Julia, I'm going to hit you the softball. Oh, good. I like softball. No, that's a mean way to say That's not true. It's not. Okay. 401k. Julia, Canadian equivalent. 401k. Group RSP. Oh, wow. Look at that. Right out of the park. Well done. <laughs> Check mark for you. Oh, man. Yay. Gold stars. <laughs> okay, Chris. Uh, okay, I'm ready. Certificate of deposit. Certificate of deposit is equivalent to a GIC. GIC. I knew I was with people that I liked hanging around with. John. W-2. Oh, that's a tax form. I guess that's equivalent to our T-1 or is it our T-4? T-4. Go with the last go one. Go with the last T4. one. T-4. Nice. Employment income. Well done. Yeah, there are check marks all over the place. Okay, Julia. Everybody's tied up. 12B1 fee. I have no idea. <laughs> what were those letters you just used? That was just some letters, so it sounds like probably some sort of obscure tax form. They have so many tax forms. Oh, that's an investment fee of some sort. Oh, John for the steal? John for the steal. I really like this game an awful lot. Uh, I, I got to be more specific than that. I can't yeah, think, I think of you exactly do. what it is. I think it's closer to a TER. No, it's a it's a trailing fee. Oh. Uh, it's a trailing commission. I know. I actually, for the longest time, thought it was a 12-1-B. But maybe it is. Maybe that's why you guys didn't get it, because I just said it wrong. Yeah, that's so, it. Let's I go with that. That's why. Oh, if you yeah. would have said 12 <laughs> Yeah. Dummy. <laughs> Whose turn is it? I think it's my turn. Sure, it's your turn. Oh, yes, right. Uh, Roth IRA. Okay. I, I knew this one might come up, and then I even looked it up before this episode, and I... I don't completely know. Would we say that it's equivalent to like a TFSA? It's not the same thing, but it, it kind of is their equivalent to what they, get, they tell all the young people to get these days. Roughly equivalent. Yeah? Check mark for you. Ooh. I know. Can you even believe it? That's a check mark for <laughs> I research. It's I can. Preparation and research is what it is. You can tell somebody's been writing some tests recently. <laughs> <laughs> And someone else has not. Okay. Uh, John, what is the rough equivalent to the IRS in Canada? That would be the CRA. Yes and no. It's a trick question. Because if you're an American, the IRS is still the IRS. <laughs> yes, of course. Oh. And that's well my not bad segue. That's not bad segue. Well done. That's incredible. We use so many financial acronyms within a few minute period of time. I think that we've only like we've successfully weeded out anybody that's not a super financial nerd by this point. Right. It's, only, it's only special nerds. Here. Which is which is kind of amazing because this is a topic that I find really interesting, and I and I hope some people stuck around that aren't just super financial nerds because I think it does apply to a lot more people than you think. Um, my lovely partner is American. And it seems like so many people and friends in my life seem to be kind of half American, half Canadian splits. And so they run up against a lot of these kind of cross-border issues a lot. They live in the States for a while. My girlfriend lives uh, upstairs in, um, in Canada <laughs> all year round. But she works in the States quite a bit. She does have ties to the States. And there's other friends that have lived there for a while and have moved up to Canada now. And they come against all these problems. And the IRS likes to send them letters and tell them that, they still want to be part of their life. 
They don't want to break it off. And so we were talking when we were playing the season about it would be really great to talk about some of these cross-border issues that come, people come up around, some of the kind of main questions that people have, um, some of the main issues. And so uh, there's four kind of big questions that we're going to talk about today. And uh, they're ones that I think anybody who's, um, who's American living in Canada has either come against or might come against or has kind of wondered about. So it's, 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 I'm really, really interested to talk about them. Um, our first question has to do with two different terms. We talked about like a lot of financial terms already, but this has to do with broader terms. The difference between citizenship and residency, which may not seem like they matter all that much, but they really, really matter when you start to talk about finance and tax issues. So Julia, can you talk a little bit about those two words and kind of what the difference is and why it's important? Yeah, absolutely. So um, residency is really about where you normally reside. And there's, there's a whole bunch of tests that each country actually has for what normal residence is. And then citizenship is, you know, where you hold a passport for. And why this becomes a really big deal is for every country in the world, except for the United States, they only care about the income that you earn if you are a resident in that country that or that you earn or if you earn income from that country but generally residency is what what tells you you have to file a tax return in that country but because the united states is super special and they get to use the imperial system they also get uh to make you file taxes if you're a citizen. So you may have been born in the United States and become a citizen and then you moved up to Canada uh, in the 70s because you didn't want to go to war, and, uh, yeah. which happens a fair bit. And um, when you find out years later is that you should have been filing taxes in the United States the whole time. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to pay taxes there. Because we, we have a tax treaty between our two countries, the taxes that you pay in Canada are credited against taxes that you might owe in the United States, blah, 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 blah. We tend to pay more taxes. So you don't tend to owe taxes in the United States generally uh, if you're a Canadian resident citizen and a citizen in the U.S., but you do have to file. They want you to file your taxes every single year. They want to know how much money you're making, where you hold your bank accounts, how much money's in those bank accounts. They want to know everything about you. And if you don't do it, they fine you. And that's really the big thing is that the fines with the IRS for non-compliance are really, really big. They, they're, they're not messing around when they come to fines. Like CRA has a fine and they're like, okay, well, if you did that, you know, it's going to be like 50 bucks. And we're like, whoa, 50 bucks. <laughs> but uh, in America, they're like, okay, so we're going to start the fine at $10,000 per infraction. So they're, they're not joking. They want you to file your taxes. They don't care where you live. They don't care where you made your money. You need to file your taxes if you're a citizen of the United States. So um, that's where citizenship is a really big deal if you're a U.S. citizen. Residency comes into play if you normally reside in a particular country and every other country in the world taxes you based on residency. So for citizenship, if there's somebody, if we use our title example of an American living in Paris, Ontario, which is a charming little town that I didn't know existed until very recently. 
lovely people there, but let's say there's an American living there and they did not know that they should be filing their taxes for the last 10 years. Have they already accrued fines? If they, fi if they file now, can they avoid that? Like when do the fines kick in? How does that work? Um, there is a voluntary disclosure program. So uh, the IRS is actually trying to help expats get back on side. So there's a voluntary disclosure program that's come into play for the last couple of years. Every year they come up with new rules of what that looks like. And if you do the voluntary disclosure program properly, so I think this year it's filing three years of back taxes and um, not being offside, then they probably won't fine you. I love it. Now, that's probably. That's, of course, the IRS would be like, probably we want to leave ourselves open. We don't yep. want to commit to anything. That's kind of the thing. But the thing is, is I've, I've taken a lot of clients through this process. And so far, nobody's been fined as long as they follow the rules. And most people are on side. And it's kind of not a big deal. What, what is a big deal is what you're going to pay your accountant for filing those taxes, because that is not cheap. Oh. <laughs> Um, that's definitely something that comes into play. Um, oh, I just had another thought. And I went, it was a good one too. <laughs> oh, it'll come back to me if it's important. Um, but, um, but yeah, they generally are not going to find you too heavily unless, as long as you're up there volunteering. Oh, the thought I had was that, um, I think it's as of July this year or may have been July last year, I don't know, time's escaping from me, but some July in the last two years, uh, there came about a rule, and you guys have probably heard it, the FATCA? Yes. The foreign account thing. I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but basically it's a... Fat cat. <laughs> yeah, it's the Fat Cat Disclosure Program. So all the financial institutions in Canada have signed an agreement with the U.S. that they will look at all their accounts and if they find any u.s citizens on their accounts they're going to tell them and our government has agreed to this our financial institutions are going to agree to have agreed to this so if if you're sitting here and you're like well i've been hanging out in canada for a good four years now and nobody said nothing yet so i think i'm going to stick with that that's a bad idea do not do that. <laughs> please, please go and do the voluntary disclosure program. File three years of taxes. It's going to cost you so much less because they will find you. Now they are looking. They will find you and they will find you. They will. And they're not going to be nice about it because you didn't do the voluntary disclosure. So do the voluntary disclosure. Okay. So that's the citizenship side. You talked a little bit about residency and the idea. So if somebody's kind of on the border, maybe they haven't been kind of um, living in Canada permanently. They kind of travel back and forth between America and the States. They're somewhere in between. How do um, governments think, like what are the criteria for them going, how do they know where you're a resident? Well, first of all, there's, there's a bit of a, there's a declaration part. So if you're like, I am a resident of Canada, then you're, you know, you've got ties here, you own property, you've got, um, you know, you've got a doctor here, you have a car, that kind of thing. That sort of establishes residency. Uh, on top of that, though, there's a timing thing. So where I live uh, around Vancouver, BC, a lot of people own property, you know, just across the border goes, you know, it's a half an hour to an hour away, and there's some real nice uh, cottage places where you can, uh, and a couple of years back, as you know, the United States real estate market was on sale, so we, we all went down there and bought some real estate, and um, one of the things that you have to remember is that as far as the U.S. is concerned, you are a resident in their country if you spend 189 days a year there. Mm -hmm. Now, 
That's the simplistic version of the formula. There is a formula, and there's like uh, the number of days, I think it's like 50% of the number of days that you spent in the United States two years, no, three years ago, and 25% of the number of days that you spent in the United States last year, plus the number of days that you spent in the United States this year, if those add up to 189, then you're a resident. And then you have to file taxes, even if you didn't earn any money there. I may have got that formula mixed up, but it's kind of something like that. That's really interesting. Mm, very interesting. When you cross the border, they're, they're watching, they know, and especially if you own property over there, they're like, oh, hey. Um, no. it's, it's always interesting to see the two sides of something like that, because you've got the one kind of common sense side, that kind of idea that, like, look, they look at the real things that you've built your life about. They look at, you know, like you said, doctor and home, do you have a family here versus the states? Like, where are your actual roots? Which are hard to quantify in a formula, but you would think that they would have to take that into consideration. And then there's also the other side where they're like, well, and if you're spending this amount of time, this is how we look at it kind of analytically. And kind of, it would it be fair to say that it's a combination of these two things that, that helps make that decision. Well, and you can be resident in both countries at the same time, which is, no, that's cool. That's what happens to a lot of Canadian snowbirds is that, you know, they're maybe spending, you know, up to six months a year in Florida or Arizona or California, and they've managed to become resident in that country uh, as well as being resident in this country because you remain a resident in this country until you've officially cut ties. So, um, like, I have a client who uh, lives in Cayman Islands, and She's been there for five years. She's never cut ties with Canada. So she's still got her medical here. She's still, you know, owns some property. She's got family here. She's got a doctor, all that kind of stuff. Even though she lives full-time in Cayman, she's still considered a resident of Canada, and therefore she still has to file taxes in Canada, even though she's filing taxes in Cayman. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about another rough equivalent, which is which we didn't include in the test because we knew we were going to talk about it. test, whatever. The Canada Pension Plan and Social Security. So, so for example, Chris's partner, I think, is contributing to Social Security when she's down there. Maybe not. My husband is a U.S. citizen, and he contributed to Social Security before we got married at a very young age. So not a lot. <laughs> very young. Um, so what's the so what happens you know if he retires here let's say and he wants to collect his social security how does that work? Well, uh, the cool the cool thing is we have a treaty on our pension plans as well. So there's a couple things you can do. You could take all your social security credits and you can apply them against the CPP and collect CPP, or you can take your CPP credits and apply them against social security and collect that, or which is sort of my preference, if you have basically the right number of quarters, I think it works out to about 10 years of social security contributions, you could collect both. Interesting. <laughs> um, and, and my preference, I lean towards like if uh, you basically, if you have credits in both countries and you're like, ooh, which one should I do? You're not gonna be able to use social security unless you have those 10 years worth of credits. So, you know, you're, you're kind of SOL and you must choose the CPP no matter what. The fun thing that a lot of people don't realize though is social security is a lot richer than Canada Pension Plan. Like there's, there's a lot more money, there's a spousal 
payment as well. So like if you've worked all your life and contributed to Social Security, not only do you receive a pension, but your spouse who didn't work, they receive a pension. Hmm. And that is not the case in Canada at all. And often Social Security can be as much as double. So um, if you can collect from both because you've contributed enough to both, do that. If you can only really collect from one because you only have so many credits, lean towards the Social Security. It's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if, um, can, you, can you get a spousal benefit if the spouse is not um, an American living in... Paris? No, sorry. In, 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 in the States. If it's, a, if it's a Canadian spouse, can you still yeah, apply for that benefit? Yes. That's really sweet. Yes. I knew I liked him for more than just his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is terrible. <laughs> we got to stop this. That's, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I'm... I will actually have to fact check on the Canadian citizen one. I know that we've done something similar with a client, which is why I immediately said yes, but now I'm thinking about it and I think she's a U.S. citizen. So um, I might, I'm just going to backpedal a little bit there. That's okay. <laughs> There's lots of room for that here. <laughs> it's still really interesting that you can qualify for both and that you can kind of be building up, building up those credits on both sides. And one, that they can be applied to either side. And two, that they can be actually, you know, if you're one of these people who's working on both sides of the border fairly regularly and earning income both sides, um, that, can be, that can be an option. That's really cool. It is. It's, it's pretty neat. The, the Social Security, when I was, I've been you know, reading about it and getting into it, I'm like, wow, this is, uh, this is a lot more money than Canada Pension Plan. I want one of these. <laughs> but then I'd have to be a U.S. citizen and file my taxes with them, and yeah, not, not worth it. But, I mean, if you were going to do it, if, if, this is, if this is the world that you live in, the one benefit is that you might be getting Social Security out of it. Hey, when you're going through all that crazy tax stuff, then it's better to try to find some benefits. Sorry, John. Right. Not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but isn't CPP sort of in the good place with the actuaries and yes. Social Security is not? That is also true. <laughs> so... Yeah, there, there, there definitely is something to that. So you, when, when you're making those kinds of decisions, you might want to have a, have a good look at how old am I? When, yeah. you know, how well is, how, how well is uh, Social Security funded for the rest of my life? So, you know, if you're 25 and looking at this sort of thing, then yeah, Canada Pension Plan is, is going to last. It's, uh, they're doing a really good job managing it. Um, and that's probably why you don't get as much out of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Social Security, they are doing a less fantastic job and they have gobs of debt because I suspect they're not quite as good at this money as we are. <laughs> so if you're close to passion, and if you're not, you know. Yeah, hedge your bets a little. Hedge your bets a little bit. Diversify. <laughs> Exactly. Well, and you don't have to actually make a choice until you get to retirement, right? So that's yeah. something to think about too. Because again, all of you, all of your social security credits as a Canadian can be applied to your Canada pension plan. So if you're, you know, 60 and you're going, well, social security is going down the tubes, that's not going to work out for them. You can be like, okay, here's all my credits. I'm just going to go put that against Canada. And Canada's like, oh, look, we just increased your CPP. And then, you know, so make that decision at the right time.
That's really interesting. Okay, so the third question that we've got to got to talk about, this is one of the, the biggest ones that people talk about, is around the idea of the TFSA. This comes up with whenever you have people on both sides all the time. It's like, can you have a TFSA as an American citizen, or can you not have one? So you can, but should you? <laughs> that, was a, that was a pregnant yes. pause. That was yes. really well done. Thanks. Uh, so, um, yeah, absolutely. You can definitely own a tax-free savings account, but the IRS does not see it. They consider it a foreign trust, and uh, basically they, they see through it, so they tax you on the growth inside it, which kind of negates why you're having a TFSA in the first place, and they require that you file uh, an additional set of forms, and that's where it starts to get really sticky, because you might not actually end up paying a lot more taxes, kind of depending on what tax rate you're in and all that kind of thing, but the extra filing of those forms uh, that is required because this is a foreign tax, foreign trust, um, that it's going to cost you a lot more money, because uh, Canadian accountants who specialize in U.S. tax, they know how much they're worth, and they charge accordingly. And so um, paying for an extra document against this particular type of account is kind of a big deal. And then on top of that, if you're invested in Canadian mutual funds inside of a TFSA, which the U.S. sees through, then you have reporting requirements that Canadian mutual funds just can't keep up with, and it's, it's just a big mess. So I wouldn't recommend it, but you can have one. Is there any chance the TFSA is so new? Um, it's such a new product. Is there any? Well, I guess this is an impossible thing to know. Is there any chance that 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 will change at some point, and the government will get cool with it, get hip with it? One might say. Um, I would definitely hope so, but I mean, uh, when you think about the United States government, and um, you know, kind of heard that they might be a little hard up for money, uh, they might not be looking at. Um, at closing those loopholes where they have opportunities to get some more, especially out of people who don't vote. Yeah, and the other issue with that is uh, the U.S. recognizes the RRSP because they have a treaty that says they recognize, um, and you know, I'm reading sort of tertiary sources at this point. I haven't gone to the treaty myself. But basically they recognize retirement accounts. And because you can pull from a TFSA whenever you want, they say, well, that's not a retirement account. Mm-hmm. So it, they, they don't count it and until... Uh, unless we drastically make the TS, TFSA less flexible, yeah. uh, I, I personally doubt that'll ever happen. Yeah. Unless they make it more like the Roth IRA, which yeah. is like a TFSA that's forced to be a, a retirement account. Yeah. Exactly. Sandy was just proud of me there, right? I was, I was super proud. I know. I learned. <laughs> <laughs> I learned and then I shared that knowledge with the viewers. So generous. Okay, fourth question. It's if I was a U.S. citizen, which I am not, are my children automatically U.S. citizens? Well, that depends. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, favorite answer of all financial planners. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they're not automatically U.S. citizens. They can't. U.S. citizens. So um, there's a couple of rules about how they can be U.S. citizens. So if one of your, uh, so if you're not born on U.S. soil and one or more of your parents is a U.S. citizen, you will be allowed to be naturalized as a U.S. citizen 
if your parents lived in the United States at least five years before your birth and after they turned 14. I just had I had to look that up because I remembered you were going to ask that question. I'm like, oh God, what are all the rules for that again? <laughs> and so, if uh, if that child who was born off U.S. soil and fulfills all those requirements shows up at the U.S. and and says, "I'm immigrating here and I want to live here," it's really easy. Basically, the U.S. says, "Yep, stamp, you are naturalized, done. Come on in, hang out." Um, if if you don't decide to immigrate, so you're sitting in Canada and you're like, well, by these rules, I'm a U.S. citizen and I want to be one, then you have to go through a minor application process. So they're not automatically in danger of having to wave at the IRS and show them all the money that they made. They just have, they, you have to be naturalized, but it's a right that you, your children have. So they have the right to apply. Yeah, and they, the application will be approved. Okay. It's just, it's not, it's not like the whole with, with other U.S., other people coming to the U.S. and like getting a green card and getting sponsorship yeah. and it's this big rigmarole. It's basically no rigmarole. Mm. Except for when their mother makes them fill out a tax return before they make their decision whether to actually claim their citizenship or not. That would be a good idea. That's awesome. Sit That's... down, you. Let me introduce you to the gray men of the IRS. <laughs> you want to be an American? This is what, what being you... an American means. <laughs> Filing these taxes every single year, and it's time to close your TFSA and take all your money out of Canadian mutual funds. Well, no, that's just not part of the 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 language and 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 uh, and just news around the election about what being an American is. It's somehow. Filling out your tax returns every year hasn't quite made the cut. <laughs> well, it definitely—it seems kind of less cool. Like I know, um, you know, ten, fifteen years ago, people would be like, "Hey, I have U.S. citizenship. This is super awesome. I can, you know, go work there. Yeah. I can go live in Hawaii. Who wouldn't want that, right?" Uh, but I don't think people were as aware of the tax filing requirements. And now, when people come and see me, and they're like, "So." I'm a U.S. citizen. It's no more like South American. It's it's kind of like yeah. yeah so I got this problem. So I think I'd, I'd be curious if if your children would actually be interested in being Americans any at this point with the sentimentality towards the country. We'll run it as a social experiment. <laughs> it can be a huge advantage in depending on the industry that you're in, right? It you know sometimes opening up that border can be huge, um, really, really just uh, give you a huge leg up, but it does come with drawbacks. And this is, it's a really good one to talk about. And that the fact that those obligations are there and they're going to follow you for the rest of your life. It's not, you, it's not like you can be like, I'm done now. No more IRS. Bye guys. Well, it's good. You can exit. Yeah. yeah you can repass. That's true. It sounds But so they can funny. say no. If you, can if say you ask. No? Yeah, they can refuse your, your renunciation. So you can go through the whole process and be like, I no longer want to be an American citizen. And they can look at you and go, well, that's too bad. And, and good luck visiting your mother in the States after that. It's yeah. <laughs> an interesting, interesting thing about the land of the free. Totally free, except you can't actually leave when you want. 
Oh. Well, it, well, it's funny because we're so culturally similar, and uh, and especially for for those of us who live really close to the border, you almost forget. You know, like I'm closer to people in Seattle than I am to any of you guys, <laughs> just from a physical perspective. But not emotionally. Not emotionally. This time. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but because of that, you know, and all the cultural similarities, you just think, well, it's just over there. Like we're practically the same country, but. But we're not. We're really, really different countries. And, you know, I think I was uh, saying to you earlier, Chris, that uh, if you just put our income tax acts next to each other, then you will recognize how different of countries we are. Like, you know, Canada's income tax act about this high off my desk, which is pretty big. And then America's income tax act is about as big as I am. So <laughs> it's, you know, from a tax perspective, they're a lot more complicated. This is why people never want to talk about tax at parties. <laughs> Because it's super boring and I get excited about it. I'm like, no, wait, no, wait, let's talk about that uh, FBAR form. Have you heard about that? <laughs> Come back. Come back. Super I interesting. Have, I have two layer dip. <laughs> I have two more drink tokens. <laughs> <laughs> we go to different parties. <laughs> I don't go to parties. <laughs> it's all just imaginary. Yeah, just make myself three layer dip and sit on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Is it time for the unnamed segment? Yeah, it really is. We should have to come up with a name for that. <laughs> or not. Eventually. It's fun. <laughs> F-bar. So the unnamed segment is where you guys recommend something to read, something in the news or not post, or even something from the archives that you want to bring to people's attention because you think it might be timely. So, Chris, what have you got to recommend? You know what? I, um, I will be completely honest. I have not been reading a lot of new stuff this week. Uh, just kind of in my other life of being an opera singer and back at work, which is great. But one thing I did come across this week before this episode, and partly because I knew that there'd be something to read, but also just, I was, I was looking for it for, uh, for somebody who emailed me is an article that I love by somebody named Emma Lincoln. She's a blogger in the States and uh, she wrote a piece called, um, shoot, uh, sorry, life gets, um, a, it's a profanity that I don't know if we can use on our podcast but life gets bad, so save your money. And it's this really kind of beautiful, honest piece about um, how the reason you put aside money is when things get really bad, um, you don't want to think about it. And, and it's, it's just, it's a really kind of, just kind of gets to the heart of one of the, the reasons why financial planning and money management and all this stuff is really important. It's not this... It's not about, it's not always about, you know, the nerdy, really technical stuff that we've been having a lot of fun with today. It's just that's kind of broad strokes of when things are bad, you know, it just really helps to not have to think about that one thing. Um, so it's, it's a great piece. Her blog is great. She uses lots of pictures of Lego men. So that's why I like it. <laughs> Sounds yeah. legit. 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 I don't yeah. know what's happening now. <laughs> it's just that cool. Yeah. Nobody's going to What do you got for us, Sandy? <laughs> it's okay. Uh, an illustration of, of how cool I am, the actuary's longevity illustrator. <sighs> I found it the other day, and it's super interesting. Listen, so, okay, listen. Yeah, you should be. Um, you know how, like, in, big, in pools of people, you can say, okay, well, out of this 
big enough group of people, we can say, okay, X percent is going to die at age X and then another. So in groups of people like that, the law of large numbers, you can kind of predict those things. But obviously I couldn't use those laws of large numbers and say on average, you know, somebody like you is going to die at age 86. Like sure on average, but so this, this tool actually siege, all you have to type in is kind of your general health. So poor average, excellent. It's kind of like an insurance thing. Julia will know more about that. Um, Gender age now. And then, you, it'll tell you, it'll give you a couple of different ways of visualizing it, which is kind of, to me, the big excitement. It's, you know, kind of in one graph that I really like is not only sort of your probability age, so that can be average person like you will live until X, but also then there's kind of this 10% chance that you'll actually live until age Y. And I find mm-hmm. that really helpful that kind of just looking at it different ways helps to have that conversation with clients who sometimes want to say like, well, let's just plan it that I die at age 76. And yeah. you can talk about why that's maybe not a good idea. <laughs> that's a, that's that like a very tool, cool tool. And I, and I think you should send me the link. I will <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Your turn. If not, it'll be up in the uh, information below the podcast when this goes up on YouTube. Yes, that's right. Okay. My turn. Um, yeah, I wasn't really sure what, what to add here. I, I process a huge amount of information every day, and then I was like, oh, God, which piece do I pick out? Um, but I thought I'd share with you one of my favorites. It's probably not new or exciting to any of you guys, but I love Freakonomics Radio podcast. <laughs> yeah, clearly not new to you guys. Um, I, I, I love it so much. They recently had... Um, uh, a whole thing on why economists love Uber and uh, just this, uh, they're just super smart and they make things like macroeconomics actually interesting. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of behavioral economics and macroeconomics because both of those things really feed into what we do as financial planners. Uh, so Freakonomics Radio does such a great job of making it not boring. And my test for that is always um, my assistant who, uh, I have two assistants. I have one who's really great at customer service and one who's great at helping with financial planning. And the one who's great at customer service does not want to ever talk to me about the things I think are cool. And uh, and she listened to Freakonomics Radio and she's like, you know what? That wasn't boring. So there you go. There's my recommendation. Not boring. <laughs> John, what's yours? What's your not boring resource? Well, I, I don't know how not boring it is. Uh, mine is going to be the recent... Um, article on the new CPP changes in money sense. And the reason I'm recommending that one in particular, I mean, there's been all kinds of issues uh, and newspapers and magazines talking about the new CPP that's coming out. This is the only one I've seen that actually has converted all the figures back into 2016 dollars. So you can see that the new upper limit for CPP is higher, but it's not like hugely higher because when the government presser came out, they said, oh, well, this is going to go up to now covering people who make 82,700 or something like that in the uh, presser, and they, they didn't mention that, that was in 2025 dollars, which is actually not as big as it sounds when you're in, thinking in 2016 dollars. So they converted it back, and it's 65,000 or so. So it's higher than the 50-some thousand that it is now, but it's not a huge difference. And so that one sort of explains it, I think, in the most understandable terms in terms of uh, what the new CPP is going to bring for people. Awesome. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good right? one. So thanks, Julia, for coming out and talking with us tonight. And I hope everyone out there enjoyed the podcast. Thanks so much, Julia. Goodbye.
Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.